This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining to Holland Back, doubling as to Qatar and back for the month. We're proudly sponsored by Six Yards Out and Pearson's Bar in Hull. Uh, and there's a very exciting competition going on there at the moment. Um, that if you, I think if you buy a drink or you go to Pearson's Bar in Hull, they'll enter you for a competition where you can win England tickets for the World Cup. And uh, as Will is, is rightly pointing out there, we are, again, we're going to mention it, we are an award-winning podcast. Thank you very much to everyone who voted for the Football Content Awards 2022 final, where we were very happy to bring home um, a bronze award. And uh, we've got some great guests. We've got usual Will, and then we've got um, uh, AD Wright from the uh, great community radio station, West Hull FM, 106.9 FM. And uh, they're our new radio partner. So, you know, we scratch your back, you scratch ours, that sort of thing. And you're the presenter of, of Tiger Pop. So, AD, um, thanks for joining us. What's Tiger Pop all about? Evening. Thanks for having me, Nathaniel. Good to see you again. And good to see you other guys. Uh, what's Tiger Pop all about? Well, it's probably a bit like you guys, but on the radio, we basically talk all things Hull City on a Saturday on Westall FM from one o'clock. But not this Saturday because Hull City aren't playing. Mm. So what I've done is I've decided I took the executive decision to have a few weeks off while the World Cup's on and then come back on December the 10th, just in time for Hull City's next game, which is on the 11th. Very good. So yeah, that's that's what I do. Yeah, and I, I had a lovely time at West Hull FM doing a summer placement. It was a, a lovely time. Thanks for having me on the show and the, the station. So uh, do go and listen to West Hull FM, 106.9 FM. They do all sorts of shows. And then, We loved uh, having you, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, did you did you want to add something, Will? Because you're doing some work with them as well, aren't you? Um, yeah, thank, thank you, Eddie, for giving me a job. <laughs> You're welcome, Will. 
you're not going to say what that is I'll, I'll say you're doing some of the press conferences aren't you or you're yeah you're doing I, work, I work for myself I'm doing the press and media as in Joy yeah. so if you see any updates through their socials from about the City Games it's probably me chatting a load of rambles um, but I'm, yeah I usually go in the press conferences get all the info from them as well for AD to then put into the shows every week what we do Nathaniel is we stick Will right up at the top of the west stand where it's absolutely absolutely freezing and let him sit there and freeze and we watch it in the east stand in the comfort a real nice warm it's good in it delightful delightful and uh, we've got another great guest gabe sutton of efl debate uh thank you very much for coming on i've enjoyed being on some of your shows um already uh what what's your deal What's my deal? I yeah. Um, tell, tell us about EFL debates and other things. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Good to good to see you again, mate. Um, I know I normally have an Anton, so uh, more recently, so it's nice to uh, to catch up with you. Um, but no, I think um, it's so EFL debate. I talk to um, various different players, managers, owners, directors, pretty much you name it. Um, uh, across the EFL, uh, various different topics, um, and um, yeah, I've had some really good interviews, some really fun chats as well. So uh, if you're into the EFL and talking about the the championship or either of the divisions below it, then you can follow the hashtag EFL debate, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Gab Sutton. Very good. That was very professional. So yeah, as you mentioned, it's the World Cup. Um, I don't want us to get a copyright strike, so I won't play "It's Coming Home," um, and I won't sing it either. But um, AD, I was going to hold on that. Oh, that's a shame. Well, you can leave. AD, is it coming home? Is it coming home? Uh, probably not, Nathaniel. I'm a, I'm a really Nathaniel. I'm, 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 a, I'm a realist, Nathaniel, and and I think. It could do just because of the strange circumstances that we're in. Uh, do I think that this team's strong enough? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that uh, the team that he picks is strong enough to bring it home, to be quite honest with you. That's my view. Um, I you know, sh- shoot me down if you really want to. I'm sure there's a way of getting in touch with this podcast. And if you want to shoot me down, you can do. But I'd be very surprised if it does. It'd be great, wouldn't it, if it did? And great to do it at the same year as the Lionesses have done it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd love it to come home. Do I think it's coming home? No. Yeah. Okay, so very negative. Uh, Gabe, <laughs> what's, your, what's your view on the England squad and England's chances um, after the first match now? Well, I think um, I take a lot of encouragement from the performance against um, Iran. I should say on, on a broader point, before the first game of the tournament, I was planning to boycott the World Cup entirely. And then it got to the game against, you know, for, for obvious reasons, and it got to the game against I- Iran. And my whim- willpower just completely crumbled because I felt like I can't miss England playing at a World Cup. So I've not been watching sort of the World Cup in its broader sense. But the, the England games, I think I might weaken on just because of the temptation. And yeah, lots of encouragement from the performance against Iran. Jude Bellingham was immense. Saka was amazing. Um, the system seems to be working well. There's a lot of fluency in the performance. And you look at some of the other results that have happened. Argentina sort of being uh, being beaten um, by Saudi Arabia. 
Germany being beaten by Japan, it shows that maybe England thrashing Iran wasn't the given that perhaps some people uh, uh, suggest it was. And um, obviously not following the, the, the World Cup comprehensively, but the impression is that pretty much just us and France that have turned up so far. So I think the early evidence is that we've got a really good chance. We've got a really good squad. Um, I believe we've got a really good manager. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, hope we, um, let's hope the boys do it. Yeah, that's more like it, Gabe. I like it. So, uh, yeah, um, on the last episode, I predicted or I, I thought England should go with a back five um, because I thought, you know, it's tournament football. That's how you win. You you grind out these one nil games. But I was very surprised England went with a 4-3-3, uh, letting Bellingham run forward a bit more in attack. So, Will, just how surprised were you with the lineup? Because personally, I was I was very shocked. Well, I was very happy that he picked the formation that I think me and and, and I picked in the um, predictions with the last week. But I think the only change I think from the team was we both had James Madison in, but obviously he couldn't really play. Um, but I was very happy to see we were playing a back four because Southgate in recent years has been so reliant on keeping his defence protected with playing two holding midfielders in front of that back three. So it was nice. To, it was refreshing because. England in World Cups, for the at least in my lifetime, their opening games have almost always been very cautious, very close-fought matches. Never really that good to watch, to be quite frankly. Um, so it was a very nice change of pace from Southgate in his recent times, and I hope it continues because you could clearly see it. I know it's obviously you can make the case it's only Iran, which is I suppose to a point fair, but they are in the top twenty in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but. It's a good side. He'd rather win like that than win one nil. Put it simply put, there's nothing yeah. wrong with winning yeah. so convincingly, despite what other people might think. Mm. I think a lot of fans would also say they'd rather lose playing like that, where they're trying to win rather than you know. I think the biggest criticism, because I respect Southgate as a man and, and a manager. I think he's done a terrific job. I'll keep saying it throughout the the month. I, I really like him. Although I think maybe he should probably go if not at this tournament, maybe after the next one, but that's getting ahead. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm quite surprised that um, he went with a, a, an attacking formation, but um, I've lost my, my train of thought. I don't know what the question was going well, to be. Well, but... I think one thing I wanted to, to bring up on the Southgate conversation is, I think it's very easy to sort of look at it and say, in big games like Croatia in 2018 and like um, Italy in 2021, you know, Southgate's in-game management wasn't great and maybe with a world-class manager, you know, things could have been different. But at the same time, I I look at it and I maybe question how much international management appeals to the real elite um, top-level managers who are at the peak of their careers. Maybe some of the older managers who want to spend a bit more time with their families, it'll appeal to. But I think the best managers probably want a bit more of the day-to-day stuff that you'd get um at club level and i think for me as an england fan it is has southgate been absolutely perfect no i don't think he has but at the same time he's got um the the best record as england manager barring Al- alf ramsey getting to a semi-final of the world cup 
and a final of the Euros is far, far better than what we've achieved previously. And we can say, you know, yes, we should have done that. We, we should have beaten this team. We should have beaten that team. But in previous years, we haven't beaten those teams. Mm. I think Southgate's transformed the culture of, of England. He's created that perfect balance of making players feel comfortable and secure, but also not being someone who can be easily messed around and, and got around. So he's, that, he's been that halfway house, which we've missed because... Previous England managers have been too far, sort of either side of the extreme. So I'd consider myself a very big Southgate fan. Uh, would I be open-minded about changing a, a few years when the, the, the right manager comes along? Yes, I would. But at the same time, I'm very happy to support Gareth Southgate um, for, for where we are now. Hmm. Uh, AD, what's, what are your general thoughts on Southgate over the last few years? Well, I think after the Nations, I'd have probably got rid of him. Hmm. But... You know, you are right in what you say, Gabe, uh, in the case that he has galvanised the squad. Uh, the squad seemed to want to play for him. Uh, he seems to have all the players together, even though they're playing for different clubs and there used to be a bit of, bit of a divide there. So I think he's doing some good things. And I think we've got to hold judgment until the end of this World Cup and see how well he does at, at, at this, you know. And as we said, you know, the first game was a ram. The next game's the USA. The next game's Wales. He's not got a lot to do to get out of the group, has he? So it's when he gets out of the group, what he does from there. Mm-hmm. I think that's where you've got to judge him and see if he's got the players. And was the Nations League just a friendly thing that he was playing to get the players fit, to get the players together? That's how he seemed to play it, uh, although it didn't work. So he's got you know let's hope that what he's what he's done in there is learnt enough to progress into the group stages and maybe further in in the world cup mm-hmm. yeah i mean i don't know how much i'd put um uh how much i'd think about the nations league and how that translates to a tournament because i mean the nations league is basically the replacement for lots of international friendlies and those friendlies are for fitness and to learn about your team so i guess the nations league is similar plus I mean, I don't know what everyone's thoughts on uh, just even here or, you know, in the wider world about how much people actually care about the Nations League. But I didn't even know who'd won the last one. That was only a year ago. So I wouldn't know. It was France. It was France. I I almost wonder, is there a winner of the Nations League? (laughs) Because we did qualify for the first finals. Yes, we got to the semi-final. We have a third place finish in the Nations League and then we've been relegated now. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, AD, it's about what happens once England get past the group. So, Will, do you think it's a case that we'll play 4-3-3 in attacking football to get out the group, build that confidence? And do you think he, he will switch to a back five? Maybe not the round of 16 if it's Senegal or a weaker team. Yeah. But if we play France in the quarterfinal, who've looked very good in their game against Australia, should or do you think he should switch to a back well, five? I think- Simply put, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. And if you're mm. winning all these games playing that formation, why would you then change to a more defensive formation when you're using all your big strengths, which is your attack? And I mean, just look at the way that formation is suited for what I think is our most promising player at the moment that started anyway, which is Jude Bellingham. He's mm. perfect in the way that we're playing at the moment. And he's someone who we should be building the team around, but him and Foden, but Foden did start. I don't know why he didn't start, but... Mm. Um, that's another thing altogether. But these are people, you want to be playing football that plays to their strengths. Our our big strengths as a team has been attacking. I know he wants to be cautious and 
cover up our weaknesses, but I'd rather, as we said before, I'd rather the team win 4-3 than 1-0. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, if we're playing that well, um, especially with how there's a lot of concerns over the defence, makes more sense to try and outscore the opposition and you don't want to switch anything up. There's been little time to to train for this tournament. So, as I was saying, I, I think if we... I thought we were going to play five, a, back, a back five against the bigger teams later on. Makes sense to keep that. But if it's worked so well as a 4 3 3 already. Well, well can, can I just uh, suggest another thing as well, Nat, mm -hmm. which is um, do, you, you, do you like Nate or Nat, or is it just Nathaniel? Or? Uh, Nathaniel or, you know, Lord Supreme Host as well. Lord Supreme Host. Um, so that, I, I think, uh, Nathaniel. Um, there's kind of a moderate solution, which would be maybe dropping Declan Rice a little bit deeper because Declan Rice is someone who can play as a holding midfielder or as a centre-half. So I think if you get to the uh, to the knockout rounds, there's the option of just having Declan Rice's emphasis on sometimes dropping into the defence when a Luke Shaw or a Carl Walker sort of gets forward. So that would be how I would look at it, because I'd probably be, I think if we played a back four against France or something, I'd maybe be a bit worried about Carl, um, uh, Harry Maguire Chilling getting into one-on-one. Mm. -on -one. Yeah. Um, whereas, but I think if we get drop Declan Rice kind of dropping in, then I think that mitigates that a little bit, and we can still play with the four three three that worked so well against Iran, and, and hopefully will do uh, in the other group games. Yeah, I mean you've mentioned Kyle Walker there. I mean he's he's a shoe in. Any any time he's fit, he should play for England at a tournament, and perhaps because he's injured. Well, and... I disagree though. Straight away. Oh, go on, go on, Will. I think Kieran Trippy is a better all round fullback than Kyle course, Walker yeah. personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was thinking but that Walker would play. Cal Walker is a very good player, but I just think based on form as well, Kieran yeah. Trippier has to be the right back for England. I think if you're playing uh, with a five, you've got to put Cal Walker in that, in yeah. that team, haven't you? Yeah, as the right-sided centre-back, yeah. maybe. Mm. Yeah. For the pace well, alone. Yeah, definitely, because he can get back, can't he? And that's, you know, a thing that, as, we, as we've sort of alluded to already, somebody needs to be able to get back, don't they? I, th I think mm. the other thing that comes into this conversation there is, I think if you're looking at who the best players have been in the Premier League during Gareth Southgate's tenure, um, you know, listen, Kieran Trippier, somewhere for Newcastle, he's won Liga, I think, with Atletico Madrid, but probably on yeah. paper you would say Trent Alexander-Arnold, but... Um, I think the issue that you have is that so many people kind of judge Southgate negatively when he doesn't pick players that are really bossing it in, you know, domestically in the in the. But um, I, I think that sometimes there's something to be said for whether they fit into the group dynamic that you're trying to create, whether they um, have a good relationship with the manager. I think, you know, whether they fit stylistically into what you're trying to do, because it's not just a best 11, the, you know, a best 11 English players. It's, you know, who makes the best team. And I think these are the difficult decisions that Gareth Southgate's got to make. And not everyone's always going to agree with them. But it's about yeah. what's for the best for the team and not for, you know, who are the most standing out individuals. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, I don't think we've talked about it quite enough. England scored six goals. It was a great performance. I was shocked at how well we were playing, controlling the ball. We had a lot of um, uh, of the possession as well, which I assumed we would. But I was surprised at just how uh, and how well we kept winning it back as well. I thought Declan Rice played well. Uh, you've rightly mentioned Jude Bellingham uh, had a fantastic game. You know, as a 19-year-old for England, scoring the first goal at the World Cup, 
Um, he's, built, he's built up he's filled out a lot over the last couple of years as well hasn't he so you add that to you know the skill that he's got as a few really um swish back heels that he played he plays with a real swagger that you don't actually you know i think you want to see that bit of personality from an england player you don't want too many players so you know declan rice he's one of those players who you know you tell them to do something that'll do it um i would say mason mount fantastic um athlete fantastic runner he's got ability as well but uh, and uh, not to say jude bellingham isn't incredibly hard working as well but he's got that bit of individual swagger about him as well that just brings a different dimension and i think you know i think this world cup could be to jude bellingham what the 98 World Cup was to Michael Owen. I think he could be a real breakout, breakout star of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that'd be good. And um, I mean, I saw a lot of criticism, a lot of joking about uh, Birmingham City uh, retiring whatever number. Oh, Birmingham I hated had. the um, hated retirement. Oh no, that's still a bad. I still think that was a shit idea. Oh, yeah, like, even if even if Jim <laughs> Bellingham goes on to become the best player in the world, I'd still disagree with retiring the shirt because I just think yeah. But it doesn't sit well with me. It's a little bit more understandable, though, seeing how good he's been, I guess. No, but, but it's still shirt for someone who, like Man City retired the shirt number for Mark Vidivy and Fowey, for example. Oh, and that's, far, yeah. that's far more emotive circumstance than someone who kept going money. on to be brilliant from a footballing perspective. So, yeah, yeah I... Um, I, I I just think just get stick keep the sh- don't 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 ban the shirt number. It just, just seems ridiculous. Yeah. Well, as the EFL expert, I'll I'll agree with you on that. So, uh, Aiden, well, if I wasn't um, the EFL expert, you wouldn't agree with me on it. Uh, no, but uh, you know, it, it would Come make on, it more. Him, it's, it's made it more difficult for me to disagree with you because of your position as okay. you know, god of the English football league. So, um. AD, uh, how nice was it to see Bukayo Saka score two goals, especially as, you know, just a year ago, um, he suffered all that abuse after the Euro final? Yeah, it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's brilliant to see him do that. And, you know, how well has he come on? Uh, Arteta's got to have a, you know, a big sort of pat on the back for that, because I think he's brought him oh, on yeah. really well. Uh, he, You know, he's come, he's come from under Pep, and you can tell that he's come from under Pep, because how good he's been this season for Arsenal. I don't like Arsenal, believe me, because they beat us in the FA Cup, and I don't like that. But, you know, they, I think they've got the best chance of probably winning the league this season that, that, that they've had for a long time under him. And he's done he's done brilliant with Saka. He's, he's put his arm around him. He's sort of given him that licence to do what he does best. And you can see that now coming into the England game as well. It seems a lot more relaxed, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think, you know, he scored two great goals. Um, I suppose that makes him undroppable. But then Rashford and Grealish um, scored their first goals um, at a major tournament. And Sterling at the, his first at a World Cup. The attacking options we've got are so great. And I mean, I guess you, you can't really drop Cerny or Saka now, but um, I, you I could think, start. Yeah, I think I imagine a lot of clubs, a lot of clubs, countries in the World Cup would love to have someone like Phil Foden or Jack Grealish on the bench. Yeah. Um, I think it just shows the, the depth of options that we've got. But the template against Iran seems to be, seemed to be quite Liverpool-esque in the sense that there was a lot of legs in midfield. Creativity often came from the fullbacks, and then you've got Harry Kane kind of dropping in, and then two of the forwards pushing on. Um, so it's very interesting to see that kind of template in action. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, um, just want to touch on some of the controversy surrounding the game. Uh, firstly, before the match, um, a lot of the UEFA teams, is it the seven UEFA teams at the tournament, said that they were going to wear the One Love armbands, which is still a bit of a cop-out because it's not a full rainbow to begin with. Yeah. But And then FIFA said that, um, I think there's a bit of disagreement about what the actual sanctions for wearing one of those armbands as the captain would have been. Um, I think they were under the illusion it was going to be a fine, which I would have happily paid. But then they were talking about um, a player getting booked if they wore an armband or even uh, suspended for the next game completely. So, um, Will, what are your thoughts on that? Because I saw you on Twitter, you were not happy about that. Well, I think at first I was annoyed by the countries themselves that backed out of it but mm-hmm. the more I think about it I mean I was annoyed with FIFA as well but the more I think about it it's like FIFA are just absolute fucking assholes aren't they well I mean, said. we already knew that anyway but obviously all these nations had said many a long time ago we're going to do this Pun- you know, you're gonna, if you're going to punish us that's fine they'll wait till the day of the first game to say right we'll book one of your players and well, I think it's it's one of those things where I'm like, well, just swap the captaincy every game with other players yeah. so yeah. no one actually gets a possible suspension in that way. But it's sort of a risk you can't really take, especially if it's... With Harry Kane obviously being a striker, it's a bit less likely, I suppose, that he'd get booked, but mm. people like Virgil van Dijk of the Netherlands, he's a central defender. He can't risk starting a game and being on 90 minutes with a yellow card straight off the bat. Or... Yeah. So I can understand why a lot of those teams were a bit hesitant to come out of it, but really no one comes out of this looking good. But as always, the people that come looking out, out of it looking bad the most is FIFA. Absolutely. I think, I think I think you'd have to have solidarity though, don't you? I think if you if you take that step to do it and then the book the yeah, and then you get sent off because of it, then that's when the big uproar starts to happen. Yes. And that's when actually something gets seen of it. And if you do that and that then happens, for me, that would have been the best thing to do. You know, let somebody get sent off. Let it cause somebody a problem in a game. And then all of a sudden, it's in all of the media everywhere and you've achieved your goal. But by backing down, you've achieved nothing, have you? Not yet. I think Manuel Neuer still wore it for the Germans. He still wore it and he still got the punishment. And the, what the ref, what happened is the referee forced him to turn his band around so the one wasn't on the top of his sleeve openly seen. But he still got booked for it as well. And I know, obviously, but it's just, it's so, it's so fucking petty. And it just, FIFA, I didn't like them anyway, but every single passing day, it's like, how can you make yourself look even worse? Yeah, it's like a competition. They want to look as bad as possible. And even so, I think Denmark have started a campaign to to, to leave well, FIFA. Denmark, Denmark's kit, obviously, was... I don't know if anyone's seen it. All their kits are, like... Their, their, the logos on all their kits are completely blank. So you mm. can't see it. It's just like a, like a blackout kit you would get from a, from a team. Yeah. It's like, obviously, they're all red, all white. And that was a, an anti-sort of Qatar thing. So the force to stick a big Denmark flag on the middle of their kits... Mm. So sure that just sort of like to completely defeat the purpose of it. Yeah, I think if FIFA are corrupt and the countries playing in the tournaments don't like it, then surely it can't be that difficult to organise a better organisation for for world football because the corruption is so you know uh, endemic now. Um, can we can we know. can we stop being depressing? 
All right. Well, let's stop being depressing and talk about some. Let's talk about VAR. That'll cheer us all up. So, um, Maguire had a stonewall penalty, um, in my opinion, as an Englishman, uh, you know, sports football, um, ruled out. And then, of course, it was a quite, uh, probably still a foul, but quite a soft penalty oh, for around. Both the penalties. Yeah, both the penalties. But the fact England didn't get one for the first half, Maguire got dragged down. So, um, uh, Gabe, um, as an EFL expert, what's your opinion on VAR? I love the fact that the leagues that I follow don't have VAR in them. Agreed. Absolute blessing. Here, here. Um, I, um, I absolutely despise VAR. I think that it ruins the pure concept of football. The whole idea of football is the, the joy that happens when you score a goal and the ball goes into the net. And the idea of taking that joy, that instant moment of spontaneity and joy away by the whole you know mathematics of getting the decision absolutely right, I think is, is, uh, is wrong for football. Um, obviously, it's not as big as some of the moral issues that we've been that we've just been just touched on and obviously got a lot of thoughts on that as well but i think in terms of var i'm uh, i'm certainly not a fan yeah i i agree and it, it, i i don't remember what it was like other than, than hull but hull never score um what it's like to you know um i can't remember what it's like to watch a goal for england or a premier league and be like oh that's exciting and then have to not have to think about whether it will be given or not and the thing, the other thing with VAR is, do you trust championship referees to use VAR correctly? No, most of the refs can't. Yeah, I mean, the refereeing... give me, give me bad referees over over VAR. Well, yeah, we've had it... plenty of them at the MKM this season, so everyone, yeah, yeah. Everyone. yeah. I mean, the the ideal would be better training for referees. That's it. The referees need. Yeah, but there's the, the no, there's not that, been enough investment into refereeing courses from from the FA. So it's that thing that's been said for years, isn't it? Unfortunately, there's no consistency, and VAR is exactly the same. There's no consistency with VAR, and if you can't have consistency in that, then what's the point in having it? Yeah, the offsides are so frustrating as well. How it can be an inch offside. You, you, your your legs can be onside, and your shoulder, which you wouldn't score with. It is offside and it, it, it's it's uh, disallowed. Well, it's so frustrating. On the on the Maguire penalty, I think the thing that sort of sealed it for me was the the day after when Argentina played Saudi Arabia, and Argentina got a penalty very near the start, which was almost an uh, yeah. almost the same type of foul that Maguire mm. was fouled on, and he said that was given as a penalty, but ours wasn't. And that's the thing in it, you know, you've got you've got to have some consistency there, especially if you're using video technology to give you the, you know, to get you the right decision. You've got to make the right decision. You can't not right make the right decision. You've got to get that decision right. And it should be easy with the video, shouldn't it? It should be easy, but clearly it isn't. Um, I wasn't really listening to all of that, but I hope that makes sense. Um, but what else can we move on to? Well, England won, and the game tomorrow night at seven on ITV. Um, although other um, TV stations are the episode already there. Ah, uh, well, well, I mean, you know, I do say good evening at uh, the start of every podcast, even though most Very people don't uh, listen to it or watch it in the evening. So, what are our chances against America? Because um, some of us have seen the Wales America game uh, or USA. Um, I thought USA were very good in the first half, and then. 
Wales put them under just a bit of pressure and they didn't exactly crumble, but they didn't play well in the second half. So I think England, especially with an attacking 4-3-3 system, have got a good chance. So Gabe, how do you see this going tomorrow night? Well, I've not had a chance to get my eyes on uh, on any teams other than England so far, so it's difficult for me to comment on um, on the US. But I think um, for me, I'm uh, I feel really optimistic about this this England team, and um, I think if we can keep the uh, synergy of the performance that uh, was so encouraging against the uh, against Iran, then um, I think we've got a really good chance against anyone. Mm. What about you, Will? Um... I do feel a, bit, a lot more confident because of the second half of the Wales-USA game. Because at half-time, I was like, this USA side looked good, but Wales hadn't really done anything at all. In that first half, Wales were appalling, to be, let's be honest. Um, but the second half, the moment they brought on Keeper Moore, and the moment, the moment they put any sort of pressure on the USA side... That defence suddenly looked very old, because they are a very old defence. Their centre-back pairings are both very old. Um, so... Where I can see if you've got players like Saka and Sterling and Grealish and Foden and all these pacey attackers attacking the USA defence, it could be very interesting. My Again, going to our defence, as we always do, it's always unsure because the way that they played going forward, they did like to press a lot. So if you're going, I can see them trying, like Iran did at times when they actually get the ball. If the press on our defence, it might, we crumble a tiny bit, but it shouldn't be too bad. It's it's going to be a interesting one. I think is the best way to put it. I think we should be all right, but that that sort of Jekyll and Hyde performance from the USA kind of you don't know exactly what you're going to get from them really now. Yeah, well, I think both America and Wales didn't play well in parts of that game, and England have certainly got the quality to to get past America and Wales. I think. And um, hopefully, uh, England, um, if results go well enough um, early tomorrow, is it 10 o'clock, the uh, Wales-Iran game? And that's a draw. Yeah, they kick off, yeah. And when England win, then they've qualified top of the group. And the third game against Wales maybe can rest a few players and because um, they'll be top of the group. So, uh, AD, I don't know if you were talking whilst I was out of the room, but uh, what's no, your I thoughts wasn't, on No, I wasn't. Well, I think that... Uh, I think that you're probably going to disagree with me, but a draw's good enough tomorrow night. Boo. That's Boo. all right. Boo me. Right, listen. A draw's no. good enough tomorrow night because what I want to do... Win or I bust. Want to, I want to beat Wales really a lot of points. You know, I want to score seven past them because we scored <laughs> six past Iran. So I want seven past Wales. So if we only draw tomorrow night, uh, then I'm not bothered. I'm quite happy with that. Let's do that, and then let's go beat Wales seven nil. I don't know. I think we need to uh, make up for 2010 when we had a shocker against the USA. Yeah, I, I mean, and I 1950 think, as well. Um, for those who can remember that, uh, I suppose there's a <laughs> lot. Like like not even me, Will. Not even me. <laughs> I suppose um, the English-speaking world on Twitter, um, they're more accessible to me, so I'm probably able to annoy more Americans and, and Welsh people if we beat them. So, yeah, seeing, you know, and, and, yeah, we want a bit of revenge for Rob Green, solidarity with Rob Green, right? So we do want to beat America and Wales, but um, I, I've got a few Welsh friends, so I can lord it over them if we do score seven. That would be marvellous. So, um, but you, but you, would you take 
Nathaniel, would you take a draw tomorrow and then a 7 0 win against Wales? Oh, if you can guarantee that, I'd take it. <laughs> if you can guarantee it, but I think that we've got a decent chance of winning both games anyway. Not um, saying we are, not, yeah. I'm not saying we aren't either, but I think we have got a good chance of beating the USA. And I think, you know, there's a good chance we can turn them over as well. But yeah, I definitely want us to. Uh, to, to beat Wales because that as you say you can gloat to the people that you know that are Welsh it's great mm, absolutely and uh, another good thing that ha- uh, happened in the or after the England Iran game of course there was the uh, Harry Kane injury he came off and they had a scan but apparently he's he's good to play tomorrow or at least Tim he, Maguire he as well apparently he's also going to be okay for tomorrow who went off hill yeah. uh, second half so, so those are good boosts because you don't want, yeah, the top goal scorer at the last World Cup, Harry Kane, to be, to fair, be injured. To be fair, when he came on, Callum Wilson did look a handful as well. So I wouldn't be too upset if Kane hadn't had been like missing for a game. Yeah, uh, game or maybe even two if we, if we um you know because we do have quality, but you don't want him to be out for the whole World of Cup course and. Not. Uh, you know the the major games because I know he didn't score, but he still played really well. Got two assists and um, created two goals, which is important. And I don't know whether Wilson or Rashford playing in the middle has that same kind of passing ability that Kane does. So, just how important is Harry, uh, Sir Harold Kane, as I call him, uh, to England, Gabe? Well, well I, I was just wondering on that, uh, Nathaniel, whether um, if you if you had to if you had to operate without Harry Kane, would that change your thinking with some of the wide forward positions? Would you go with maybe a Foden over a Saka, so that you've got a bit more of the creativity? creative element, someone who can pick a through ball um, in in sort of the sort of narrower central between the lines type thing. Because although Saka, I think, has really good feet and he, he showed lovely composure for um, for his goal um, uh, on um, in the second half against, uh, against Iran, I also think that Foden probably gives you something a little bit different. So if you've got Callum Wilson, that's the one running in beyond, you'd also kind of want Foden dropping into pockets and then South Sterling running beyond. So I think the general principle is you want two players who can get in beyond, who've got pace, and one player who can kind of drop in and, and bring that creative mm-hmm. element. So yeah. maybe I'd look at having Foden instead of Saka if we had to play Wilson instead of Kane. Yeah. My temptation would be to not would be to instead of playing it, I know I've just praised Wilson, but my temptation would be if Kane can play, is play someone like because he because he likes to come in deep, he likes to be in the midfield, kind of as a false nine. I'd be tempted to play someone like Foden as that main man up front okay. and have because he drops deep all the time. Because it just adds the creative it keeps the creativity going. Hmm. Well, I think Foden's probably been one of the players last season for oh, Man City when they had no striker. Be, yeah, the other options, obviously, Grealish or Madison as well. Either any of them three. Yeah. players mm. a false nine. Yeah, but also, older. Raheem Sterling, like, he showed good striker's instinct yeah, for, uh, for the goal just before half-time against Iran as well. So he could possibly sort of become a, a bit like a striker at times. So mm. I think that that's a good option, I think, that Will suggested. Saka, Foden and Sterling. Um, yeah, that could work as well. I think, yeah, any of the three Man City forwards who were there last season, including Sterling, Grealish and Foden as well, I think they played false nine last year, yeah. along with De Bruyne. Yeah, and I think I like Grealish as an option from the bench. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I do. I do like him as a bench option because mm. he, he, he can he can sort of pull the defence all over the place yeah. when they're a bit more tired. 
And then he's another one that's got that swagger about his game as well. And he's got he's a fantastic ball carrier, isn't he? Um, yeah. And he showed really good awareness as well to peel off the defender for that last goal and sort of slot it in rather than just attack the space. It's actually thinking, oh, hang on, can pull back here. So, yeah, good movement from him. I, um, but, yeah, I think he, Southgate seems to like him as an option from the bench. So, uh, And he's a Villa player, so I, sh- I should hate him, but I do kind of love Jack Grealish. So <laughs> I, I, it's it's a torn one, but I I do love him. Yeah. Oh, well, to go back to a question, Gabe, about what I'd do if Kane wasn't playing. I mean, uh, last week's episode, I said that England should go with a back five, and we did have Kane fit, so I guess I'd play a back six just make sure we don't concede any. Uh, hope, hope you know <laughs> someone scores, you know, uh, off their shin or something. Why must you play the most boring football? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I, I'd have inverted wing backs though to to spice things up, but in a back six. In football um, manager. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, I guess we'll do a little bit more about England and just uh, maybe score predictions for the game tomorrow, and then we can touch on uh, some of the big shocks of the World Cup. So. I'm going to go um, a confident, uh, before the um, tournament started, I predicted 2-1. I'm still not confident about the defence, but I think we'll score a lot. Um, So I'm going to go 3-1 England. What about you, Will? Um, 3-0 England. 3-0 England. That sounds good. I'd be happy with that. What about you, AD? I'm going with your original prediction. Nathaniel of 2-1. Mm. I'm going to go with your current prediction. I'm going to say 3-1. Right. Well, that's four England wins then. So I think we're all quite confident about our chances. And uh, yeah, um, I'm not impressed with that Ant comment there. Nathaniel out. That's very hurtful. Um, but shall we move on? And uh, we'll use our um, non-England correspondent, Will Young. Uh, tell us about the Saudi Arabia-Argentina match. I can go through all of the World Cup if you want, but I mean, all right, ten seconds on each game. How about that? <laughs> I, mean, well, I can do. I can do that quick. I can do it very quick, easy. Okay. Qatar was shit. Ecuador were comfortable winners. Senegal nil. Netherlands two. It was a very tight game. The Netherlands looked like the better side, and then eventually they managed to break through with Gakpo and Klaassen. Is that is that fast enough for you? Yeah, keep going. Okay then. We've already talked about England around United States, Wales. But um, here we go. Argentina won Saudi River too. Fuck Argentina. Saudi River are awesome. Aldersuari over Lionel Messi any fucking day. Mexico Poland, nil-nil. It was shit. Denmark, Tunisia, nil-nil. It was shit. Yeah. Tom Cornelius had the miss of the tournament. France oh, for Australia won. I was, very, I was very, very happy for Australia at the start. And then France turned into France. Hmm. Um, Germany won Japan too. <laughs> Appropriate. Ha ha ha. Spain seven, Costa Rica nil. Um, Spain looked all right. Uh, it was a tight, tight, nervy game until the latter stages. Morocco, there. Nil. Morocco nil, Croatia nil. Again, it's another nil nil. What are you surprised? Boring. Belgium won, Canada nil. The biggest screwed up on the Canadians possible. Switzerland won, Cameroon nil. I didn't actually see this one. Well, Mbolo didn't celebrate against a different team at the World Cup because he was born there. Now, I understand clubs, and I guess, to be honest, if you were born in Cameroon and you score against him in the World Cup, that's a big thing. But I feel like that's something that, you know, like football cliches on Twitter, weird, they talk it? about things. Not celebrating 
against a team at a World Cup because you've scored. Because it's so rare, odd. the idea of it. Is that odd, yeah. uh, Gabe? Is that odd, or am I being insensitive and a big bigot? That's the um, well, you're always being a big bigot, so that's oh, kind okay. of really that's beside the point. Um, I what would I say? Um, I, I think I think it depends, it's such a personal subjective thing that I don't think you can make sort of blanket laws over whether it's right to celebrate no, against another country or not. I think it's such a personal thing that um, it's it's difficult to say on anything other than a case by case basis. Basis, really. So is that a no? I've still it's, got. Uh, I've still got yeah, games. you've got to take it on a case by case basis. Like, oh, you're right. not going to get me into an, a binary answer. Nathaniel. So I say yes. Don't, okay. You don't live in your black and white world. Life is much more nuanced and complicated than you're making. Uh, yeah. Uh, keep going, Will. Uh, yeah, Brazil, Serbia. Brazil win two 0 Rich Allison's like the greatest striker that's ever existed, and Brazil look like Brazil again. Uh, Uruguay, South Korea. Genuinely, the worst match I may have ever seen. Um, Portugal, Ghana. Oh, fuck off, Ronaldo. There you go. That's my review of every game. Well, that was uh, Will Young, our non-England correspondent there. Um, that's, uh, very Can we good. go back to Argentina, Saudi Arabia? Because it yes, was one of the best ones so long. That's the big one. And uh, along with the Germany-Japan game, which is a less big surprise. That was, but That one's kind of been glossed over a little bit, to be honest, because yeah. Japan were fantastic in the second half. But I think the most... Uh, shocking thing about those games is um, I mean both penalties but the better teams on paper um, score first and you think you know with that sort of shock you'd expect them to keep it tight maybe get a late goal but um, to to come back with with some two great finishes from or or four great finishes from both teams was a a big surprise that they could come round again The Argentina one was very very interesting because the first half Messi scored a penalty early on and for the entire first half, pretty much Argentina just pelted Saudi Arabia for the entire thing. They should they had about I think they had three goals disallowed for all, and they were all rightly disallowed for offside. Um but they had absolutely just tore them to pieces. And then at half time, I don't know what changed, but at half time, I think there was a couple that's a couple of like real proper hard, hard fair challenges went in that Saudis did on a couple of the Argies and it seemed to sort of turn it a bit. And I don't know what it was, but as soon as Saudi Arabia started actually pushing Argentina, they just seemed they, they seemed very scared, and it was delightful to watch. Yeah, because yeah, normally absolutely. in the past it's been like us that have done that sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah, so um, I think I predicted Argentina to win the World Cup. I think you so did, did too, I. Will. Yeah, so. AD, I'll go with you first. What w- was your prediction for the for the winners? And if it was Argentina um, or Germany, has that changed? I wouldn't have uh, picked either Argentina or Germany, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I'd probably gone with, I don't know, maybe Spain would have been my prediction beforehand. And it doesn't look bad at the moment, but they did only, no, play, Costa, they, they did only play Costa Rica, didn't they? So, you know... Uh, I'd like to see England win it, as I've said previously, but whether England can win it or not, I, I, you know, I don't know. It's one of them. I, it, let's, let's hope that England can, but if not, I think it could be Spain. Uh, can I ask you, Nathaniel, can I just ask you before we before we go on, what time does the party start at your place? Oh, it, it's non-stop. It's non-stop. <laughs> yeah, I, I get very few opportunities to, uh, you know, record. And, uh, Gabe, what was your thing? Sorry, I've, I've spoken over you, Will. I'll come back to you. Gabe, go on. 
Uh, well, I didn't do any research on the World Cup with the intention of boycotting it, so I made no predictions on who was going to win, other than on the day England were playing, hoping England would win. So I didn't make the honest answer is I didn't make a prediction because I was so overcome with apathy over the tournament as a whole because of how morally corrupt it is. So unfortunately, that's not the that's not a fun answer, but that is that is my answer. Yeah, that's not a fun answer, but but. but... So you don't think I don't think Argentina are going to win it anymore? Do I have you? no idea. What, well, well, I mean, given that they've just lost to Saudi Arabia, I would I would assume probably not. Um, yeah. I think I would imagine it's probably going to be England or France that win it. That's kind of that's the yeah mm. that's the cutting edge prediction you're going to get. So me. are you saying if we beat France in the quarterfinal, we've got it won? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. That's God. exactly what I'm saying. Awesome! It's coming home. It's coming home. Yeah. Beat Iran. We can beat anyone. Uh, go on, Will. Um, I was just oh, Spain for me feel like because they're a mixture of like brand new, really young talent and players who are just about to finish their international careers. They feel like a team who maybe in the next tournament might in the Euros in Germany might be the one to watch. I think that they are very good. Obviously, they won seven nil. You can't really deny that. Um, but they just feel like a team that's going to be better in the future than they are currently. And um, having just watched it while we're doing the podcast, Brazil. Brazil look like Brazil, which is a bit concerning. Um, mm. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Gabe here. Um, partly, having seen everyone, France have impressed me the most, which you should be surprised. They're the world champions, really, and they won the Nations League as well. But the way mm. they played that, that second half against Australia was probably the best I've seen any team in the tournament play this so far. And that's including England, which I know is a bit sacrilege, but... Well, yeah, to fill you in with some context, Gabe, most people either predicted Brazil or Argentina to win, and Argentina hadn't lost a game since 2019, but then I'm saying they have now lost. I was a little bit surprised from afar about that because I, I'm only going off because uh, I, I think finding out more recently Argentina had been on quite a long uh, unbeaten run before uh, before the tournament but I've not been impressed with you know you go back to sort of you'd have to go back to probably the, the 70s and 80s to find the last time Argentina had a genuinely I mean actually I, I tell a lie the 2006 Argentina side played really good football I remember mm-hmm. watching the Cambiasso goal at Germany 2006 so I suppose they were really good then um, uh, but then, um, yeah, more recently they've not been as good, and there's been a bit of mutiny in the camp. So I'm kind of surprised that they've kind of come back in the in the eyes of many. And then Brazil, um, they've not won it since 2002, and probably had a bit of a drop off as well. Maybe they they think they've got a resurgence. So um, again, I'm not speaking with an awful lot of, of first hand knowledge, so I'm, I'm very conscious of that. But it does feel like our Brazil and Argentina in recent tournaments haven't sort of been quite been able to recapture former glories. Well, mm. I was, well, Brazil, that was the last time a non-European side won it, was 2002. Since then, it's been all European sides that have won it. It was, yeah, Italy, then Spain, then Germany, then France. I, yeah, I, I sort of wonder whether, like, Germany and, um, I suppose, Spain and, and Italy, like, they've all had um, their players playing in the domestic leagues whereas i guess for brazil and argentina the top players there have probably gone to europe um certainly in the last sort of 20 30 years so whether that's kind of interrupted with the the quality of teams and the, the synergy I, I don't i don't know but maybe that's been a been a factor as well yeah i suppose it's a little bit like italy and italy of course haven't qualified ha 
Um, that I mean, Italy hadn't. Uh, well, well, lost by the way, game. Just, just on that, I've got to make the point that so many people were saying that oh, in the twenty twenty one Euros, if if England had had a world class manager like Roberto Mancini in the dugout, who was able to make proactive changes rather than Gareth Southgate, we'd have won that thing, which might be true. But then Italy go and not qualify for the next World Cup. I don't know. Just, really I, I, I find that I do find that quite funny. It is very funny, but I suppose as Italy didn't qualify, uh, Argentina is sort of the next best thing because they won the Copa America last year. And just like Italy before the Euros, they hadn't lost in a, in a while. So, but also, then I think they've they disproven have that. They do also have Lionel Messi, so that is a, a big reason. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's not quite wide open because France are very strong in Brazil, but... Um, you know, Brazil haven't won in such a long time and France uh, are yet to play Denmark and they lost to them twice in the Nations League. I know at the start of the podcast I said the Nations League doesn't mean anything, but um, France could yet still lose to them. So I suppose if Brazil don't win like usual and France lose to Denmark, then it is England's to win uh, or to lose. So um, it's coming home. Um Anyone else have anything else they want to talk about the World Cup? Otherwise, um, I'll get Gab Sutton to talk, or sorry, Gabe, um, yeah. to talk about the best EFL players you've seen at the World Cup so far, if that's a thing. I suppose it well, isn't I, if you I, want to watch any games. the England game, really. But um, I think um, I, the, the, the thing I wanted to talk about, Nathaniel, was uh, I do want to sort of go back to the decision from the FA. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the bulk of the blame going to FIFA when it comes to, you know, keeping foot, keeping politics out of football and, you know, showing no support or compassion to the LGBTQ plus community. But I also think that that doesn't mean that all the other people involved are completely absolved of responsibility because I think it's it's a collective thing that have led to this that, that has led to this situation. And I think a lot of people have been sort of complicit in this as well. So from my point of view, I think it was an absolute first of all, the FA tried to get away with the most half baked thing that was symbol that wasn't really a pride flag that was just trying to get away with it just a way of trying to say if there are any complaints about the ethics at all hey look oi stop complaining because we've got this thing they didn't even do that because they were concerned about you know getting booked and it's not really a protest is it because um if it's a protest you take the consequences and continue to doing it because the importance of the point is important is more is more important than the importance of your own convenience and um what works for you as an individual so um i think it was an absolute disgrace how the fa have handled this um i feel that the players have to take some responsibility for this as well and i think the whole thing's been handled very badly from a number of different um different parties absolutely i, I couldn't have put that better myself I, I i definitely agree and uh well last thing um as we are usually to holland back and uh, ad is you know your, your whole fan um uh, there are there is a bit of whole city news ben warner is whole city's new something or other analyst um he's the backroom member of staff that we've been waiting to um have announced so um ad do you know anything about what an analyst does at whole city and is it useful well we've got we've got a hope so haven't we he's oh we've lost you we've lost you ad I'm sure you're making a very good point. Uh, we can't hear you. 
Um, I'm assuming he's okay? saying, "We can, you're back. Go on." Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I was just saying. He's, it, the, the, Liam Rossini has really sung the praises of him, so he's got to bring something good to the to the fore. He's been he's been with Liam. Uh, at Derby, and uh, he's obviously worked. He, he said that he's worked within in the youth setup for a few years, and then he's sort of gone more first team in the last two to three years and started doing the analyst work for that. Uh, Liam obviously holds him in high regard, and it's more you know, there's a lot more of this analyzing in the modern game of football, isn't they? You know, and Liam's bought into that quite a lot, so. You know, I, th- I think I think it's part of the jigsaw that Liam wants to put together to try and get whole, hopefully back to the Premier League, and 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 hopefully you know he's gonna he's gonna do that. They've got some time away together in Turkey now, aren't they? They've got a couple of friendly games across there. Time to to look at the players, try and put some of this work that they're, they're trying to get into them. Um, on the training pitch and and bring that into games. So hopefully it's a good move for us. I think it's one of them where time will tell, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I hope so. And um, yeah, it's coming home. Football's coming home. And then after that, uh, England, um, not England, how they're going to get promoted with the help of Ben well, Wallace. Definitely fucking analysis. ruined it now, aren't you? Yeah. Well, look, I, if I jinx, if I keep jinx, jinxing it, maybe that'll, you know, cancel itself something. out. Perhaps, perhaps. But I think we've mentioned pretty much everything we want to. Uh, thank you very much to our two fantastic guests. We'll certainly see if you want to come back on again. So that's A.D. Wright of West Hall FM and Gabe Sutton of EFL Debate. And thank you again to our regular uh, Will, who is now acting as the non-England correspondent for the World Cup or our coverage of the World Cup. So uh, I think that's it. We'll be back again very soon to talk about hopefully another fantastic a thrilling England victory and some other surprises around the World Cup. So thank you very much for listening and we'll be back very soon. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.